Thank you, Jesus. What a good, good crowd. What a good, good morning. Uh, it's rainy and cold somehow, even though it's been warm lately. But you know what? It doesn't feel rainy and cold in here. It feels like the atmosphere, the presence of God, and that is so awesome. Uh, thank you, Jesus. You know, it just reminds me every time, I know this is so cheesy and goofy, but my kids will tell you I'm the king of cheesy and goofy. Uh, it's rainy outside, and I'm reminded uh, that, you know, things are going on out there, but it feels different in here. There's things that go on in the world, but, you know, we live in a kingdom that never changes. The, the truth might change in the world, but this truth never changes. The, the news changes a whole lot, but this never changes. And it's so good to be a part of a kingdom, right, that is not based on the weather, not based on economics, not based on politics. It's based on this truth that we learn from John chapter 1, verse 1, that it's been in existence since before the foundations of the earth. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the living Word. And I'm telling you, it never changes. The good news never changes. And it works for everybody. Don't believe the people that say, it doesn't work for me. Don't believe yourself when your mind says, it'll work for everybody but me. It works for everybody. It's good news. That's what makes it good news. It's one of the many things that makes it good news. In fact, if you didn't know this, the word gospel is an English word, but if you were to read the New Testament in Greek, which it was written down in a couple thousand years ago, the word gospel that they used, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John, there's not a really perfect English translation for the word they use. The closest translation in English to the word in the original text is our phrase, too good to be true. The word that they use to talk about what Jesus said and did is the phrase, it's just too good to be true. You could follow it up, though, with however it is. It's too good to believe, but it's just that good, and he's just that good. That's awesome. So thank you, Jesus, that you're just that good, and your gospel it seems too good to be true, yet it is, and we believe it, and we thank you that your words today are going to bear fruit in our lives. Amen. So, hey, I think we got three weeks left of this series. It's gone a little bit longer than I thought, but it's because I haven't had as much time to preach, so a couple of my messages have been broken down to two messages, which is just fine with me. Uh, I, I kind of think, um, naturally, I, I kind of think a little bit more uh, detailed and organized. So even if I don't end up with three points and a and a intro and an outro, I just I write most of my message from the starting point of I need three good points, an intro and an outro. That's just how my mind works. It doesn't always end up that way, but that's how my mind thinks. And uh, as I was thinking about a few weeks ago, man, I only I, I don't want to spend as long bringing these messages if we worship a little bit longer. And, and part of me thought, well, you know what? It's okay to go longer. But then my next thought I felt like was the Holy Spirit. And he just said, listen, if, if somebody makes one good point from the word and we all leave here and apply it to our lives, Lisa was just saying this up here, one word from God can change anything. We don't always need three points, an intro and an outro. Sometimes we just need one word. And if we listen and we apply it can change our entire lives. So I've actually really enjoyed splitting some of these messages up into two parts, and I think it's going to happen again today, uh, partly because the first part of my notes here is something I'm very passionate, love to talk about, and it's not something you hear about a whole lot, 
In fact, it's something a lot of people avoid, and it's the book of Job. When was the last time you jumped into the book of Job, right? So it's right there in the middle of your Bible. You can open up the middle of your Bible. You'll find either Job, Psalms, or Proverbs, most likely. Job is right there before Psalms. So we're going to get to that, right? This series is called Light the Path, and what we're doing is every week, sometimes now, like I said, it's been two weeks, focusing on one verse one verse that Lisa and I in our lives call life scriptures that we live our lives by. We go to and go back to them all the time, and it's shaped us, and it's, these scriptures have formed us, and it, it, they light your path, right? The Bible says that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. These are words we can apply, verses we can apply to situations we're in currently and see an immediate change for the better. So this week's verse, even though we're going to read a little bit in Job and we're going to read a little bit around it, is Romans 8, 28. I bet a lot of you know it by heart. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Boy, this is a good verse. This is the kind of verse, and this is the specific verse, that a few weeks ago, I was simply running late. I don't like running late. Uh, I can say this, and it's probably not all the way true, but I feel like I was never late at all before I met Lisa, right? Lisa and I have been married. Lisa and I have been married for 20 years this October. We dated for a good year and a half. She likes to say this. We were kids when we started dating. Uh, I guess I was barely driving. I like to at least think that I was never late until I met Lisa. And every once in a while now, as hard as I try, um, sometimes we're late. And, and I can, I'm saying that a bit in jest because she's quick to point out, uh, and I, as I am too, that there's plenty of times we drive places separately and somehow I'm still late. So I at least like to convince, try and to convince myself that I'm a very punctual person uh, sometimes I'm better than, than others, even though I do believe it's important to be on time. Uh, this verse, however, I was running late a few weeks ago, and I was a little bit frustrated, and that turned into a lot of bit frustrated. And I was in traffic, and the Lord reminded me of this verse, and he says, don't you remember that I'm the God that can make all things work for your good? And I was like, yeah, 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 I know, but I'm running late. It's frustrating. And I just kind of heard the Holy Spirit gently and lovingly, even though this might seem harsh when I say it, but it felt very loving and kind when I heard him say this. He said, if you really believe that with all your heart, you'd never get frustrated. Whether you were running late, which is just a minor thing, or whether something major was happening in your life, believing this verse fully would end all frustration, all aggravation in your life. You know, and, and, and sometimes we can make things so black and white. We say it's one way or the other. That's just not the way it is as long as we're in this world. Sometimes we're like the guy in Jesus. He said, can you heal my kid? And Jesus said, yes. And he says, do you believe? And this guy says, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. You can have belief and unbelief working at the same time. That's just the way this world is. I mean, it's 43 degrees today, and it's going to be probably 85 tomorrow. You can have two things working at once in this world. We can internally as well. Believe. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. When I'm frustrated because I'm running late, when, I, when, the, when the boss comes in and says the dreaded, we're, get, we're doing layoffs, whatever it is, a big thing, a little thing, when a bad doctor's report comes in, whatever it is, 
Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So we're gonna make, I'm going to make some major points about this verse. First of all, and we're really going to get to this first point next week. So I'm going to drop it here. We're going to get back to it next week. If you're super curious and you think, oh my gosh, though, I need that revelation today, not next week. Here's really good news. The Bible says that this can teach you all things, all truth. You don't need me up here telling you. You can go to it yourself. So if I say something here and you think, please say that this week, I need the revelation, go home, read Romans chapter 8, and get this revelation for yourself. And then come back next week and say, amen, when I preach to you something, you already got a revelation on throughout the week. That would be awesome. I like when people say amen. So here's what I'm dropping now and going to come back to next week. There are stipulations on this verse. First of all, we got a conjunction. How many know your grammar in here? How many got, how many, raise your hand if you're good with grammar. When you start a sentence with a conjunction, you got to go backwards and find out what it is joining to that sentence. And we know that God causes all things. If we go back a little bit to Romans 8, 26 and 27, let's get to that. I'll read that. I'll make this point, And then we're going to go, you might think it's weird, but to the book of Job and you'll understand why. Romans 8, 26 through 28. This is the previous two verses. And then Romans 8, 28. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we, when Paul gives an example, it's a good thing to listen. I mean, he's telling you, he's giving you a life example of what he's talking about. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought, I don't even know what to pray to fix this situation. Good news, you're not Bob the Builder. You don't need to fix it. Right? You don't have to. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside. Can you fix it? No, you can't. Say it with me. Can I fix it? No, I can't. One more time. Can I fix it? No, I can't. That's actually a positive confession when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. God, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed In words, we could talk all day about what that means. At least one of the things it means is praying in the Spirit, a.k.a. praying in tongues. That is an important gift of the Holy Spirit for every believer. And when we pray in tongues, that is the Holy Spirit within us praying through our flesh. We don't understand it with our mind, but it's the perfect will of God is what Paul says as he expounds upon what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. If you've never thought it was important to pray in tongues, it is the perfect tool for when you don't even know what to pray. You pray in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit intercedes through your own voice, through your own mouth, bypassing your brain, and prays the perfect will of God into every situation you have. It's partnering with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Sometimes we partner with the doubt on the outside. Sometimes we partner with what we see in our flesh. Ooh, my body is telling me I'm sick. All of a sudden, my brain says, ooh, let's partner with that today and give in completely. We'll just pull the covers up, complain a little bit, and hope that somebody, you know, takes care of us. Sometimes we like that, right? I don't, though. I hate sickness. It can go away. It has no place in my life or my family's life and none in yours. So we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to partner with the Lord and the Holy Spirit, what he says. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. That's what I was just telling you. 
For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Ever had this question? What's the will of God? Well, if you don't have time to just pick this up and read it and learn the will of God, and you just don't have time for that, pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows the will of God. And when you're not sure what it is, pray in the Spirit. He will pray through you, and he'll pray the will of God. Have you ever read the Bible like this? It's a very good instruction here. And it's in English. It's easy. It's easy to understand. The Holy Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And there's that conjunction. And when we do that, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So in this one text, we have three stipulations. God will cause all things to work together for the good of those who are number one, partnering and co-laboring with the Holy Spirit. There's lots of ways to do that. One of them is praying in tongues. There's lots of other ways to partner with the Holy Spirit as well. So we'll get to that next week. Stipulation number two for those who love God. You got to love God. And if you listen to DC talk growing up, you know that love is not just a noun. Love is a Love is a verb. There's also some action to love, right? So love is a verb. It's also a good old-fashioned noun. You didn't know you were getting a grammar lesson today. We've gone over nouns, verbs, and conjunctions. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Come on. We know this. You know your grammar. This is another good lesson. When you read your Bible, it is a really good thing to think Sometimes we read our Bibles and we're like, well, I'm reading my Bible. Don't forget, it's good to read it and think about it, right? It's like when you read Red Badge of Courage in, in high school and you're like, this is a great book. And your English teacher that you still remember to this day because she was awesome is like, well, there's a lot of symbolism in this book. And you think, wait, you mean there's like deeper meanings to these words I'm reading? And it opens your brain up to a whole world of meanings within meanings. And, and the prophet Ezekiel called it a will within a will. And you can read your Bible and you can read it just like that. And, and even though there's words on the surface, things will come alive on the inside. So we got two stipulations here. God will make all things work together for your good when you partner, co-labor with the Holy Spirit, when you love God, and then number three, when you are called according to his purpose. Well, what does that mean? Well, in John 10, 10, Jesus makes his purpose very clear. Uh, John says, and the Holy Spirit through John says there's an enemy. His purpose is to still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and life abundantly. So as we are called and act according to his purpose, partnering and bringing life and life abundantly, opposing anything the enemy is trying to steal, kill, or destroy in my life or anybody else's, those three things, when I'm actively involved in those three areas, God is able to make all things, and he will make all things, work together for my good and for your good. It's powerful. And it's such good news. So we're going to come back to those three things and talk about what each of them mean on a deeper level next week. And again, if you're thinking, I got to know right now, Romans chapter 8 is also in your Bible, just like it's in mine. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look it up, find it online. You can download it for free. You can jump into it and read about it this week and get some awesome revelation. Today, we are going to take the next...
Oh, I got like, I can do this in 14 minutes. That's what I'd like to be done by 12. So that's kind of a personal challenge that I'm going to say out loud. And Paul Wright will start his timer now and text me a picture of how long it actually takes me, which is a little thing we do, which is pretty funny. Uh, I actually enjoy that very much. But we're going to use these next 14, 15 minutes. I already said, I already gave myself one extra minute. Uh, to tear down a very common misconception about this verse that actually filters into a lot of people's personal theology and belief system. And we're going to tear it down completely using where this bad thinking comes from, which is misinterpretation from the book of Job. I know that's a lot, but it's going to make a lot of sense here in a few minutes. Some people read this verse, Romans 8, 28, and they say, everything that happens to me is for my good. That's not what it says. It says God can take all the things that happen to you and work them for your good. Now, the good, good, good news, the almost too good to be true news, is this includes things that you do to yourself. This includes mistakes you're in because of your own bad decisions. This includes mistakes or or, or traps you fell in that the enemy set for you. This includes things that happen just because we live in a fallen world. Maybe the devil's not involved at all, right? It's just we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that we are in, not of, and fallen things happen around us and affect us. And Paul says, hey, good news. It doesn't matter if it's the world, the devil, or yourself. We can make all things work for your good. What God can make all things work for your good. What he doesn't say is everything that happens to you is for your good. This leads many people to believe and to the belief system that God is just in control of everything. And if he's not the author of everything that happens to me, he is at least in control of everything that happens to me. And that is also not true. The very first thing almost that God says to creation, to Adam and to Eve, is you Take dominion of this place. He didn't say, now my robots, my marionette puppets, you'll go just do whatever I want you to do, and don't forget, I'm in control of this place. No. He put them in a garden. He created the things that we see around us right now. And he said, you go take dominion. He is not the puppeteer orchestrating everything that happens to us. That's just not how it is. But he's given us the authority and the freedom to just keep moving forward in victory through all the things that do happen. And he said, if you're working with me, if you love me, and if you're called according to my purpose, I'll take all those things and actually make them work for your good. But he is not allowing the things in our lives to happen because they're for our good. Sickness is not for your benefit. It's not for your good. I can say this with full confidence God will never, ever, ever put sickness on somebody. Not to teach them a lesson, not to bring somebody else into the kingdom. People think that a lot. Maybe if I give my life, then it will bring someone to the kingdom at the funeral or something like that. Maybe people get saved at your funeral because God can work things for your good and for their good, but he is not the author of sickness or disease. He did not create that. In fact, when he created Adam and Eve, they would have never died had they not allowed sin into their lives. There is an author of sickness and disease. It's the devil. Now, somebody's thinking, well, good things have happened to me. I've learned some important lessons through sickness and disease. This is an example of what Romans 8.28 says. It was not God that made you sick. 
He did not make you sick for your own good. However, he's so good that when you got sick, he used it to teach you something. He's so good that when somebody tragically, their life ended early, he's so good that at their funeral, somebody received Jesus. But it didn't happen, so that can happen. This goes back to something I said just a little bit earlier. The Bible says we can actually learn every lesson we need to learn from the Bible. We don't actually have to go through the school of hard knocks, if you want to call it that. Sometimes we learn some important lessons because we go through some stuff. But we can actually learn everything we need to learn from the word itself. We can go to the word and learn, and we don't have to go to that school of hard knocks. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, every good work. We can allow in our lives, if you will, if we give this time, we can allow scripture to teach us all the things some people think we just have to learn by getting knocked down and letting the Lord teach us. So Romans 8.28 does not mean that he takes uh, everything that happens to us happens to us for our own good. There are things that happen to us that are not good, but he's so good, he works them for our good. This belief system for a lot of people starts with the book of Job. If you don't know the story of Job, here's a little background. It's the oldest book in the Bible written. It was the first book of the Bible ever written down. And that's important. It was written before Jesus, which means the covenant that we enjoy the benefits of, uh, which is salvation, forgiveness of our sins, deliverance from our enemies, healing of our diseases. That's a covenant that was made with us when Jesus died and resurrected. This was written before that. Job did not enjoy the benefits of the same covenant we enjoy. This happened before Abraham. This happened before God made a covenant with Abraham and said, I will bless you and you'll be the father of many nations. This book This story of Job happened before God made a covenant with Abraham, which means there's a lot that happens in this story that just doesn't apply to us in this current situation. We can learn from this story, but the things that happened to Job, we don't have to be afraid they'll happen to us because we have a different covenant than he had, which is an awesome truth from this. That includes this thing. So here's the backstory. Job is a godly man. Um, he, He has a wife. He has kids. And there's this strange story at the beginning of the book of Job that I don't know if we'll ever have full revelation on what exactly happened here until maybe we're with Jesus one day in heaven. But it says there was a day when the sons of God appeared before God, and one of them was Lucifer, the devil. And he brings Job to God's attention. And he says, you know, this is a godly man, but if you let me take everything from him, his children, his his health, his wealth, he'll turn away from you. And God says, no, he won't. And then the devil turns around and does it. And the first question people have, well, didn't God allow that? Actually, he did not. This is after the fall of man. Do you know what entered the earth when Adam and Eve sinned? Well, sin did, which also means death, destruction. That all did. How did that enter? Sin in humans, humanity's life gave the devil authority to go into their life and to steal things from them. That is why our covenant is so much different. Jesus forgave us of our sins, and now he has no authority to come into our life and take what's rightfully ours. Job didn't have that benefit. 
So even though it's written down, if you let me do this, he'll turn his back on you. Really, God had not a say-so in the matter because sin was the devil's inroad to Job's life. He didn't need God's permission. He had permission because of Job's sin. He goes in, and within a few days, Job loses his wealth, his health, and even his children. And then he says this thing that people quote, and they sing songs about, and they pump their fists in church services, and it turns my stomach when I see it or hear it. Jo- uh, here, where did we go? Sorry, I lost my place here. Job 42, Job 121. This is a phrase you've probably heard. Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. People have made full theologies about this. You know, this is the only place in the Bible that says the Lord takes away. If you got a whole theology written based on one verse, you have at least reason to doubt and keep on researching, is this a correct theology? That's called letting the word interpret the word. First question for a New Testament believer. Well, do I ever see Jesus give somebody something and take it away? If the answer is no, let's question this theology for the New Testament believer. Maybe God doesn't take away. I never saw Jesus take away. In fact, we know the will of Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. What did Jesus say? I am willing. You never see him give and take away. You see him give and give and give. And when he'd given everything he had, he breathed his last breath. He went into the grave and he gave some more. He rose from the dead and gave some more. He ascended to heaven and kept giving. In fact, that's when he sent the Holy Spirit. He never gave and gave and gave. You know, David wrote this. Lord, don't withdraw your spirit from me. It was a good thing for David to pray that because David was not under the covenant of Jesus. But, you know, if we pray that as New Testament believers, that's unbelief. Jesus said, I will never depart from you. I will always be with you, even unto the ends of the earth. He's not going to withdraw his spirit from you. He does not give and take away. Well, why did Job say it? Let's fast forward to the end of the story. We're going to fast forward to Job chapter 42. This is why it's important to read the full context. Back to grammar, back to high school English. You can't just read one chapter and pass the test or know what's going to happen. You've got to read the whole book. We just are going to go from Job chapter 1, verse 21 to Job 42, 5, and 6. This is after Job's three friends and then a fourth guy enter the picture, and they all give these elaborate speeches and these dramatic responses. All of a sudden, God shows up in a whirlwind and starts correcting people left and right. Listen, Elihu, you said this. Listen, guy, you said this, and I'm saying this. And then he looks at Job, and listen to what God says, or actually Job's response to God, Job 42, 5, and 6. I only heard about you before. So Job is saying, I never have seen you. I've never heard your voice. I've only heard about you. But now that I've seen you with my own eyes, what does this say? Keep on going. Let's read chapter, verse 6. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So you give and take away. A few days later, Job says, I'm sorry. I take it back. I repent. He says I was wrong. I don't have this in my notes, but right before, the reason Job is responding to that is because in chapter 41, God says, Job, everything you said about me was wrong. That includes you give and take away. People take that scripture. You give and take away. 
And when we lose things and we go through tragedy and horrible things happen to us, people say, well, you know what? The Lord gives, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It must be for my good. It must be for somebody else's good. It must be for this or that. Don't forget ever again, Job repented of that mindset. He repented of that phrase. The Lord does not give and take away. However, as a New Testament believer, he's so good that when we partner with the Holy Spirit, when we love God, and when we're called according to his purposes, he can even take the greatest tragedies and work them for our good. And also keep something else in mind. He's so good that the greatest tragedies and losses we will ever go through here. There's a great reunion coming another day. There's a great reunion coming. This life is only temporary. There will be a time a million years from now. You're hanging out with the people you've lost. And you're like, man, those hundred years or so on earth, that's just like a drop in the bucket. We've been together for a million years now. I don't even hardly remember that time we were apart. He's just that good. He's that good. He doesn't give and take away. Have you ever given and taken away? That's not a good gift. That's a bad gift. Right? That's taunting somebody. He does not give and take away. And he's so good I can wrap up this story of Job with this. I'm telling you, there's whole theologies that people have built around the idea that God gives and takes away and it's all for our good. No, he gives for our good. Psalms, or I'm sorry, Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs that the gift of God comes and there's no sorrow added to it. Even in this story, God did not take this stuff away from Job. The devil did. That's written in plain black and white. And what's crazy is... Because of the sin not being taken care of by Jesus, the devil had every right to do it. Here's something that you got to think about, because I've been thinking about it for a long time, and it kind of still doesn't make sense uh, to my natural brain. But you got to remember this. Job gets blessed at the end of his life, right? And I don't have it in my notes, so I actually got my real-life paper and leather-bound Bible that I'm about to read from. Uh, not just a shiny, glowing iPad over here. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, well, we'll skip down a bit. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. For now, he had 14,000 sheep. In chapter 1, it said he had 7,000 sheep. He had 6,000 camels. In chapter 1, it says he has 3,000. He had 1,000 teams of oxen. In chapter 1, it said he had 500. 1,000 female donkeys. In chapter 1, he only had 500. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, the second Keziah, the third Kareen. I'm not going to try it. In all the land, there were no other women as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. He lived 140 years after that living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long, good life. Two things I want you to think about with the book of Job here. Remember I said it's really good to read the Bible and think. The first one is he was blessed in the second half of his life, even more than twice as much. The enemy, the devil, had full permission because of sin Not because God gave it to him, because Adam and Eve gave it to him. Because sin gave him permission to steal all the things he stole. That's how it happened, right? 
He got blessed in the second half of his life during the same time period without a covenant. In other words, God broke all the rules and blessed him even though he really had no right to bless him. He didn't have a savior standing in the gap for him. He didn't have authority on his own to be blessed by God because of sin. Yet God broke all the rules and blessed Job anyway. Does that sound a little bit or maybe a lot like Jesus? Don't heal on the Sabbath. That was a law that the Jewish people had made. Jesus looks at somebody on the Sabbath in front of the guys who helped write those laws and said, Sir, stretch out your hand. And the withered man's hand stretched out and he was healed. Jesus broke the rules. And it's called perfect love. Job had no reason to be blessed, yet we have a God that said, well, listen, I know that sin is an issue. I'm going to take care of that. It's on, help is on the way. Rescue is on the way. Until then, you know what? I'm still going to bless my people. And he did. And it was awesome. So he got twice as many things. His health got restored. There's one part of this that's always bugged me. I'm going to leave you with this. And that's the kids. I cannot imagine feeling like I'm twice as blessed if that first group of children I had were still gone. So this last thing I'm going to leave you with is not something that you can completely 100% prove in the Bible, but I'm not just going to get up here and tell you some like of, of my own opinions either. I'm just going to read something to you, and then we can, we can leave here and think about it, okay? So we're going to have to think about some stuff again. Lots of thinking today. I'm sorry if you weren't prepared for all this thinking. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, here we go, though. In this last chapter, it says, the Lord blessed Job. In the first chapter, you can turn there and read it. It said he had 7,000 sheep, but this says he had 14,000. It says he had 3,000 camels, now it says he had six. It says he had 1,000 oxen, or 500, now it says 1,000. It said he had 500 donkeys, now he has 1,000. And in that first chapter, it says that Job had 10 children. Right? He had 10 children. And in this last chapter, it says where it was doubling the numbers. He had 500, now 1,000. He had 10. It says now Job had seven more sons, three more daughters, and twice as many children as before. So it kind of sounds like if he had twice as many children, maybe we have a resurrection here that it doesn't flat out say in the word. But why not? You know, this story was written before Abraham lived, and when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain, there's no written down stories about resurrection in the word. But when Abraham went up the mountain, he knew that if I sacrifice this son I have, God would just resurrect him from the dead. He had to hear about resurrection somewhere. He had to hear about it from somewhere. Why not this story? Again, it doesn't say that blatantly that God resurrected those first children from the dead. But let's just talk about what we know. We have a God who loves resurrection. We have a God who died and resurrected himself. We have a story that took place after this in the timeline, and Abraham was fully confident that his son's life would be resurrected if he was sacrificed on that mountain. Man, I believe these kids got resurrected. I believe these first kids that died got resurrected, and the reason he had twice as many kids in the end is because God gave him 10 more children, and he still had the first 10. I believe that. 
Again, that's not something that's going to change our theology. It's not something that's going to change the foundations of our faith, but it's something to think about. Everything else I said about Job was in black and white. He did say the Lord gives and takes away. However, he repented of that, and he said, I'm sorry, I take back what I said. People take that phrase, they take that mindset, and then they read Romans 8, 28, and they say, see, everything that happens to me is for my good. God allows the bad things just like the good things. In fact, some of the things I think are bad, God really has said, no, they're good. No, they're bad. Sickness is bad. Death is bad. They were never part of the original plan. They were never part of the plan. If something doesn't exist in heaven, it has no business existing on earth. So that's a good prerequisite right there. Does this disease exist in heaven? Nope, it's not God. Does death exist in heaven? Nope, it's not God. So we resist those things. We resist those things. The reason this is a dangerous theology, and this is my last point so I can invite the band up. The reason this is a dangerous theology and a dangerous way of thinking, and we'll get to this more next week, when we believe that God is the author of everything in our lives, good and bad, we are not likely to then resist what the enemy is doing in our life. And if we're not resisting, then that's one of the three stipulations. That's what it means to be called to his purpose. That means you're resisting the purposes that aren't of God. If you're not resisting the purposes of the enemy, then God, you're tying his hands and he's not able to make the situations work for your good. If you're not resisting the enemy, then you're not doing one of the three things that it takes for everything to work for your good. So the enemy wants us to, he would love it if we walked around believing everything that happens, good and bad, is from God. Sickness is from God. Disease is from God. Death is from He would love that because then we're not likely to fight it. And I'm willing to say most people that think that, at least most Christians that think that, really, really don't believe it in their heart or they wouldn't take medicine or go to doctors and try to get better because if they really believed that sickness and stuff was from God, why would they go fight the will of God and try to get better with medicine or a doctor? Don't fight it. If you believe it, just give in to it. It's God. So most people really don't believe it, right? Their actions say what they really believe. But there's this thing on the surface sometimes on the end of our brain that tries to get us to filter the things that happen to us through this bad thinking that they're from God. But they are not. That is the only place in the Bible you'll ever read that God takes away. And it's also something that Job repented of saying and said, I am wrong. So that is what leads people to interpret this verse, Romans 8, 28, the wrong way. I wanted to spend today really, really establishing the fact that not everything that happens to you is good and not everything is from God. You know, not everybody gets saved. The Bible says, Jesus said, it's my will that none should perish. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing that people die unsaved. But it does happen, sadly. That's why we got to go tell people. That's why we got to go to the corners of Gastonia and to the ends of the earth. Because there are people dying that just don't know. That is not good. So if we can move forward and read Romans 8, 28 for what it says, not everything is good, but God can make it work for your good. And then we read about the three ways we have to partner with that, which we'll talk about next week one more time. I'll say it today. That's partner with the Holy Spirit, co-labor with Him, love God, 
and be called according to his purposes. We will talk about each one of those next week. And until then, man, go get it for yourself. Get revelation, take notes, read your Bible with a pen and a paper. What does it mean to partner with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to love God as a action? What does it mean to be called according to his purpose? You have a God that gives revelation when you seek revelation. He's not withholding from you. He's not. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand together.